This is Power Athlete Radio. With your hosts, Denny Kaye, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Power Athlete Nation. Welcome to episode 72 of Power Athlete Radio. It's September 11th. We got a good crowd for you. The coaches are in the house. Kyle Turley's here. We're ready to kick some ass. How's it going, everybody? You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Before we go, let's. Um, Kids are back in school. Ew. Let's take a moment of silence for 9 11. Uh, you know, it's a. Uh, big deal. It's actually the only time the NFL's ever canceled a game. So, and Kyle and I were pretty instrumental in that one. So, I think we should have a moment of silence here for taking some dollars out of the owners' pockets. Let's do it. Okay, that was good. All right, let's move it on. So, uh, we have an awesome show today. We're obviously, uh, you know, our coaches and whatnot, but my good friend, longtime friend, and uh, teammate Kyle Turley. And uh, we're stoked to have you on on this special day and also uh, catch up with you. And we get to bullshit about some old times, come up with some uh, some good playlists, and uh, just for the most part, just basically talk trash for an hour. Awesome. It's great to be with y'all, man. I appreciate you having me. You know, John, I've always wanted to ask you. I- you put out a talk to me, Johnny, about September 11th. And yeah. when I read that, I remember thinking, you know, going back to that whole thing, um, the NFL canceled those games. Did, they, did that mean you guys didn't get a check? So what happened was uh, it's Tuesday. I think it was Monday morning uh, where, you know, I was in the training room in Philly and all of a sudden, you know, everybody started screaming and there were, you know, the TV and the deal. And we saw the plane, the first plane crash and they were talking about it. Then all of a sudden that second plane crashed and the whole deal went down. And, you know, of course, you know, think, hey, this is some tragic accident. But, you know, we realized it was a terrorist attack in the deal. Uh, the players got together and decided that it would be in bad faith and, uh, you know, just poor taste for us to go and celebrate and play a game and do this big hoopla and wake up probably the lar- or actually the largest uh, attack. I mean, the, really the first attack on U.S. soil, like, uh, you know, Pearl Harbor, I mean, obviously wasn't right. on U.S. soil. It was in Hawaii, but I mean, this is a, a major event and this had never happened. I mean, I, you know, since, you know. 200 some years and we felt as players that you know uh it was would be in bad taste for us to play that there needed to be you know a week of silence and the owners and the teams and everything fought us and even though we practiced that week we did not play and as a result we did not get a game check so that's when i realized distinctly that they only paid me to practice or play in the games practice was uh the little stuff that we gave them for free so <laughs> that was a, a pretty big deal um and then Obviously, we took that week off. We came back. We played. They ended up tacking that game on to the end of the season, which was kind of hilarious because they were all kind of worthless at that point. But uh, I ended up playing on Monday Night Football in New York, which was the first game in New York after 9-11. And we played on that Monday Night Football uh, in New York. And I remember pulling into the Meadowlands 
man, it was like, uh, you know, going into like, you know, you know, Kabul right after they had taken Afghanistan. I mean, all the cops are dressed in full battle fatigues, you know, uh, you know, M4s, uh, you know, uh, you know, dogs. I mean, these guys had heavy artillery. And as we came in, their practice bubbles where they had been storing the dead bodies and had been pulling people out for ID, and that's where they've been bringing them. So as we're driving in, you know, you realize that there's this big uh, practice bubble right next to the stadium that's packed with, you know, obviously victims of 9/11. So we went in and played that game, and it was pretty emotional. I mean, to see New York and you know everybody coming and to the aid of New York, and you know uh, all of a sudden the Giants come running out with this big American flag, and it was uh, it's a pretty emotional day. And all you know the Jets fly over in the whole deal, you know. So when the NFL wants to come out and stir up uh, America's patriotic deal, they know how to do it. It's Jets, it's American flags, and, you know, some Monday Night Football. So we ended up going on and winning that game, which was good for us. But it was uh, definitely um, a pretty hallowing experience in that as we were driving from New Jersey uh, over to the Meadowlands where we were staying, you could see the whole New York skyline, and it's pretty – like it was kind of a chilling feeling to not be able to see the two the twin towers and not be able to see the world trade center so i mean it was um uh, pretty amazing to go see it i mean i remember just driving through and just being like dude something's just gone from the skyline to have something that of that magnitude just disappear was pretty chilling so it was uh it was definitely a very interesting event were you the uh, John? Were you the first game uh, back? Because I, I we were one of the first games back there too, uh, with the Saints, and we flew in, and it was still smoking when we were landing, and uh, it was just everybody's pinned to one side of the plane. The pilots telling everybody, "We've got to balance this out. Sit back in your seats." And, oh, really? Uh, uh, and as we're landing, we see the smoke and everything over there by the city is still coming up, and uh, it was pretty pretty ominous and then uh when we got to the hotel then we find out the hotel we're staying at is the uh the same hotel that the terrorists stayed at the night before and so we're like everybody just freaking out they had uh, uh what's the uh, the the guy the new york singer guy the old dude uh new frank york sinatra? for no nah, not frank sinatra the guy is still alive um uh, uh jones no. Tony Bennett? Tony Bennett. Tony uh, I knew yeah. we'd come up with it. Tony Bennett singing the national anthem, the whole deal, and all the guard and everything like you're saying. John was there and uh, American flags, the whole deal. It was pretty pretty creepy, man, for a while there. But our you know, our situation, it wasn't uh, Did you get was it uh the Giants or did you play the Jets? The Giants. Yeah, man. I, I, you know what? I'll, I'll need to go back and look at the raw at, at the the game. You may have played I, the Jets. We, we played the Giants. No, no. I remember I, it, it was the Jets because I uh, had to play against uh, Keith Hamilton. There you go. So you played the Jets, and that's it. We played the Giants in the first game back. You played the Jets in the first game back. No, no. Hamilton played D tackle for the Jets. Well, you know what? It's been too many years. So I need to go back. And check. <laughs> Look, the problem yeah. is, there's uh, two guys that have obviously taken a lot of severe hits to the head or trying exactly. to argue with something that happened 15 years. <laughs> Ago. I'm pretty it may sure. have been when we were with the Chiefs. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, when we played for uh, yeah, the Chicago Bears, right? Didn't Kyle, didn't right. we play, next to the, didn't we play right. the Bears? Yeah, you were in minicamp with me in Miami, right? <laughs> yeah. No, but for me, it was different. Uh, you, you mentioned the player thing, and uh, um, 
you know, the players wanting to honor the day, this and that and the other. There was a lot of players that did want that, but there was a lot of players that didn't want that, that wanted to play because of the threat from the National Football League that we wouldn't get paid. And um, so there was a lot of guys that were griping about money and all those other things in New Orleans. We had a team meeting and uh, Jim Hazlitt, our coach, who I'm, I'm great friends with and he's still a great guy, but we butted heads at times. And one of those occasions was 9-11. And um, we came into the, uh, you know, it was on a player's day off, as you remember, John. And then, uh, then we came in to have a meeting and uh, uh, the uh, coaches got everybody in there, all the, all the people, the staff and everybody from the organization. We had this big, huge, massive meeting. And Jim Hazlitt, all these rumors were going around before that we were going to take off and go fly somewhere to practice with another team, actually go to Pittsburgh and practice with the Steelers because Jim Hazlitt had just come from there coaching with the Steelers. And we were going to practice with them for the week off that we were going to have. And, um, you know, for me, I was unacceptable. I, you know, we're going to take uh, pick us up, take us away from our families. And, you know, we didn't understand what was going on, if there was still a threat there, if any more attacks were going to occur. And here they're talking about going right into the heart of it, back up to Pittsburgh, you know, close by where one of the planes went down. Um, you know, we're, it was unacceptable for me. I had told Jerry Fontenot and a couple of the other guys on the team that were older that were being brought up to a, a meeting with the coaches um, to tell them that, you know, I'm not going and that they better not decide to go because this is ridiculous. We need to stay put and we need to let this thing, you know, get figured out here first and some time to settle. And the last thing we need to do is get away and pick up from our families. Let's not think of football right now. And uh, the word came back down that we're going to Pittsburgh still. And so I was irate and we had this team meeting and Jim Hazlitt stands up there and he says, now, I know some of you guys are opposed to this, but I'm the coach and this is the way it's going to be. And we, you know, we've got to get our work in. We're going to fly up to Pittsburgh and we're going to uh, practice with the Steelers uh, for the week. And we're going to stay there. Your families will be fine. They'll stay down here. And I just had enough right in the middle of him saying that I just slammed my hands on the table, stood up on top of the desk and uh, threw a banana right past his ear into the wall behind him that exploded. And I said, I'm not going to Pittsburgh, motherfucker. You're going to Pittsburgh maybe, but I'm not. And I don't know that anybody else in here is. You guys can all go if you want. You guys are bitching about your money. You're bitching about this. Fuck y'all. I'm going to join the Marines. I'm out. And I jumped off the table and ran out of the room and uh, got my stuff in my locker and was heading out of the parking lot. And uh, Jim Hazlitt and the team let out of the meeting just as I was uh, uh, coming out with my gear and he confronts me in the hallway and he says, Kyle, what's wrong with you? And I said, fuck you. And I pushed him in the, to the side and uh, kicked the door open and made my push my way through the rest of the team and uh, uh, went out to the parking lot. And he turns, he says to me, he says, Kyle, what's wrong with you? He chases me out of the parking lot, says, what is wrong? What after all I've done for you, this and that. And I would just, I lost it. I, I turned around cause I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. All he did for me, uh, didn't make sense. You know, kick my ass in practice. Uh, you're talking about maybe giving me another contract, which never happened. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but again, you're, 
distracting from the point at hand. So I turn around and start choking him, of course. And um, <laughs> uh, uh, big Norman hand, rest his soul, uh, grabs me and uh, picks me up. And, and Sammy Knight then grabs Jim Hazlitt and pulls him off away from me. And um, uh, I go sit in my car for a while and they tell me to cool down and they have the security guys and all that there calming me down. And they all go back in and have another meeting with the brass. And we have another team meeting and they go, okay, we're not going to Pittsburgh now. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and it was funny is all the, all the management, everybody else in the offices, they came up to me later and they said, thank you so much. We didn't want to do that. But you know, the point was that there, there was so much selfishness going around uh, from the league down to the players and everything. You know, we lose sight of this day. You know, we take it for granted uh, and what happened uh, still. You know, we don't we don't hold a, a vigilant uh, mindset against what is really going on here. And, um, you know, that that can be argued. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, it wasn't Americans flying those planes into those buildings. And it's not going to be an American. And if it is, uh, they don't deserve to be Americans if they've joined this jihadi bullshit um, to attack innocent people. Uh, you know, if something else goes down today, we've got a, a definite threat in this country and uh, people need to be aware of it. Well, you know why? It's just easier to pretend that none of this existed and it happened in the past and it wasn't real. But having lived in Philly and like having that happen just 80 miles down the road and then you know, uh, much like you and much like myself, having friends that uh, have gone out and fought and died in that war. And, you know, to see these people go out and give this ultimate sacrifice and to see this happen and then to see people be like, oh, why are we in this war? This is stupid. And this comes up and you're like, hey, dude, people, uh, Americans died. Like uh, and they were like, oh, you know, this and that. And it's like, man, we pulled out of Iraq and dude, now that place is even a worse fucking shithole than it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, like, yeah, you just saw the deal yesterday with Obama talking about ISIS and these, you know, different, uh, you know, Islamic uh, uh, fundamentalist groups and this and, you know. Uh, but they're not, they're not Islamic. Remember? No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, they're, they're fundamentalist. Yeah, fundal, yeah, uh, Islamic. Yeah, Islamists are not violent people, but these groups are. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like a mincing of words, but you know, and then it's like, oh, and those groups uh, that are gonna harm Americans uh, need to have fear. And you're like, okay, great, dude, these dudes are cutting people's heads off on Facebook. Yeah. Literally, like, yeah, literally. Like they're believe me, they they don't have fear of us. And no, they got no fear. They, they well, you, you can't. I, I just don't understand how you think you're going to defeat somebody who celebrates death. That's not going to happen. You know, the only the only possible solution to this uh, situation. And now that we're getting on this type of stuff, the only possible solution that nobody wants to talk about is exactly what we did to Japan. Okay, and that's the end of it. We don't need to be going over there risking any more American lives. Uh, I don't care. Because, you know, you're going to go say you're going to go drop some bombs. We're not going to risk American lives. Well, they got missiles, too. We got some planes that could probably get shot down. And uh, I'm sure John McCain can tell you actually, you know, what happens in that scenario uh, from his Hanoi Hilton days. Um, you know, no American deserves to die for these people anymore. It's been uh, thousands of years past time that they need to stand up and deal with it themselves. Bottom line, let the Israelis deal with it and uh, let the rest of those 
those people figure it out because if that's what they, you know, care to live under, uh, you know, it's never going to end this whole stupid ideology. Uh, you know, I mean, they're enabled by our government for sure. You know, we're, we're as crooked as the rest, um, in that we're funding all these different people, but, um, you know, it, 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 there's just no, no point or purpose for anybody to ever, uh, go over there and lose their life for this bullshit anymore. Uh, if they're going to interact and, and put themselves in this mix, then you just seriously, if I, there's, or you, or you just start breaking out the spaceships and let everybody know what we got, you know, because they're using these conventional weapons that, uh, everybody knows about to, to, you know, to, to fight these wars. We've got weapons that are <laughs> like in the fucking movies um, with Iron Man and shit, you know, and everybody knows it. And, uh, you know, the, it, it, we, we could have these people rounded up and, and annihilated in a second, but we choose to, you know, continue this ridiculous uh, uh, perpetual, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a money machine is what it is. Well, and, and it's also the idea that, uh, you know, a democracy in the way that we're living is somehow we imagine that everybody else is entitled to exactly what we have and they want it. So then we have to go out and promote the American way and this idea of democracy and this and this. And we're going to go out and help these different countries attain this you know level of democracy. And you're like, dude, these uh, these it's people, a, this this section, they don't care. Under war, I mean, you can go back to the Crusades for three thousand years. Uh, you know, these different groups have been warring, and it's like you know, it's part of their culture. It's what they yeah. have. Like all of a sudden, they're just not going to like hang it up and go and say, hey, you know what, democracy's the way. And it's like it's just, but it, it's also arrogance on our part as Americans that we feel that everybody should have our way of living and our way is right. And this, and you're like, dude, people should be left up to their own decisions. And we go in and try to install these things and end up literally kicking hornets' nests and you know bringing it up and if i mean all these original problems happen where we go in and we fund uh you know uh, bin laden and a lot of these guys early on to help fight the russians i mean we were their major funders we went in there trained them we armed them we grouped them because they were you know the enemy of our enemy is our ally and we went in and go work with these groups to fight russia russia pulls out and next thing you know we pull out we don't need them anymore and now these groups turn on us and i'm like yeah. we started this well you, you, it, it's all it's and iran cancer or iran of uh, course yeah. It's laughable to think that you could uh, bring democracy to a group of people whose book um, that they believe in more than anything uh, tells them that democracy is evil. Uh, so it, it's a it's a futile effort. It's you know this the same could be said to you're you're going to try and go into the Warren Jeffs cult and try to you know take their kids away and uh tell them that polygamy is bad but that hasn't stopped them the women haven't left the wives are still there the kids are still there they still want to live under that you can't help people that don't want to be helped and you can't people help people that can't help themselves at the end of the day our civil war wasn't won by uh the french or uh england or any other country that interjected into our civil war it was won by certain battles uh, of keynote that uh, occurred where the North won against the South. And uh, those individuals were Americans, uh, you know, granted, albeit uh, fresh off the boat from the Northern side and, uh, you know, put into fighting positions to uh, earn their citizenship uh, still. 
they were Americans and uh, that's what they wanted to be. And they were here fighting for it. Uh, those people got to fight for their own country. You know, we either got to leave them alone or drop the bomb. End of story. All right. Well, let's go to a, a less of a hot button than this. And let's talk about. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. No, no, no. I mean, let's. Uh, my, my dad no, actually called. Uh, my, yeah. my dad called me at 11 because uh, I told him that you were going to be on the podcast. So my dad, who has always been, a, a, you know, a big fan of Kyle's and good friends. So he wanted me to say hello to you. But also uh, my dad is calling me because uh, of this Ray Rice deal. And my dad has a pretty strong dislike for Roger Goodell and the, uh, you know, what I like to refer to as the mob of NFL owners and this complete, you know, uh, power corruption, you know, scandal. So anytime something like this happens and uh, the Ray Rice thing, we've been talking a little bit about it, but, you know, where people now are calling for Goodell's head because he went and did the cover up. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you guys are thinking that this is the first time that Goodell, I mean, Goodell works for the owners. Guy makes $44 million a year for a reason. So his ability to go in and keep this thing under wraps. And now for the first time, people are, uh, are you know, calling for Goodell to step down. I'm like, dude, he serves the owners. Believe me, that guy doesn't make a decision without the NFL owners. Um, no, no doubt. Making it for him. I mean, you can go back. I mean, he did. The guy served under Tagliabue, who at the time, everybody thought Tagliabue was such a great guy until it came out how he basically kept under wraps, kept under can, dude, hid, did everything he had, intimidated, colluded, everything on the on the concussion stuff. They knew about all that stuff, and they of still course. You know, didn't keep that information. So Goodell comes from that same cloth, and now here's a situation where, you know, obviously the second time a Baltimore Raven player, I mean, and if you take a look at uh, Art Modell, one of the original gangsters in terms of, uh, you know, one of the, <laughs> the most strong mob-based groups, uh, Art Modell, the Baltimore Ravens, you know, I mean, look at probably the strings they pulled to get Ray out of trouble. And now all of a sudden, here's a situation where they have a cover up with the Ray Rice deal. So I figured you'd have an opinion on that. My dad wanted to know what your opinion is. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't, you know, I think that uh, Goodell's uh, wore out his, his, uh, his stay there. I think that, uh, you know, the NFL is run by PR, you know that. Yeah. And uh, the only thing that changes anything in the National Football League is PR. Uh, well, if it's a, a potential bad image and losing fan base, the minute exactly. that they have something negative and they have a fan base, then they have to spring into action. You've got a situation here where, um, you know, it's been reported that the number one fan base and the number one merchandise buyers for the National Football League is women. So they've crossed this line big time. Uh, this, in my opinion, is no different to the Donald Sterling case. Uh, they've got to take uh, extreme action here to show uh, uh, that they care if they leave uh, Goodell in place, um, who is the, you know the spokesperson? Uh, he's the figurehead that everyone is listening to. Um, so if he is the, the mouthpiece for the owners, uh, the owners then are going to have to distance themselves from him. Uh, otherwise, they're going to continue to look like uh, Biscotti did and uh, Ozzie Newsom did, and they can't have that. So I guarantee you, right now, the discussions are being had in the NFL's PR meetings that uh, the only solution to this problem, because you're going to have, you know, we'll see tonight, uh, but I believe it will be the case, uh, that you will have women's groups uh, left and right um, at every NFL stadium, uh, you know, moving forward until Goodell is 
let go. I, I don't think that th- he can survive this one. Um, you know, before everything else dealt with football players um, and who gives a shit about us, right? Nobody cares about our brains. Nobody cares about our pain. We got to play in the National Football League and make millions of dollars and blah, 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 and this and that and the other. Nobody gives a shit. But they, when you cross the line into, uh, you know, other people uh, in the real world, uh, then that becomes your PR mess because those are the people who have their button on the remote and decide whether or not they're going to watch your show or not and uh, have their credit cards and whether or not they're going to pay for your merchandise. Uh, And that being the case with women being the number one, uh, I believe that the only solution PR wise to this is that you're going to see Roger Goodell have to step down as the commissioner of the national football league. It's the only possible way to save face. Uh, Kyle and and, and Kyle will be able to co-sign on this one because he was there when this happened. Uh, People really have no concept of the power of the NFL owners. I mean, the most powerful, richest men in this country are NFL owners. Case in point, we were at training camp and George W. Bush drove, what was it, something like 271 miles out of his way to come over and talk to the Chiefs at at training camp and go over and visit his father's good friend and campaign contributor and longtime supporter, uh, which was the owner of the Chiefs, Lamar Hunt. And you remember, Kyle... Uh, George W. getting off the bus and you'd see him walk over and Mr. Hunt standing there and he went over and literally shook Mr. Uh, you know, uh, his hand like this is my father's good friend. This man is uh, a very important person to us. And I remember him being like, oh, you know, thank you so much for the president to drive out of his way to come talk to you guys. No, he didn't drive out of his way to come talk to us. He drove out of his way to come pay homage and respect to his father's friend who has been a major campaign uh, campaign contribution guy. And if you guys ever want to do some fun, uh, Google that uh, Google Lamar hunt and the hunt family and understand about the father, the wildcatter and he and his brother and all that stuff. I mean, those guys were, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, Oil, uh, you know, I mean, dude, it's like the movie, uh, the TV show Dynasty was based on the Hunt family. I mean, those guys are, you know, it's like the Kennedys running moonshine. I mean, it's, you know, these guys didn't get where they are by being nice guys. So... Well, and then football is not their bread and butter. Their football, football is, you know, like you said, it's oil and it's shipping, uh, trucking industries, all of these other things that have just major corruption attached to them. Yeah, and I mean, look at Blank. I mean, Blank owns, uh, you know, you got uh, Home Depot and like, you know, you look at uh, Bob Kraft. I mean, all of these guys uh, are major, major money guys. And believe me, those guys don't like bad PR. They don't like the spot shot or the sunlight spotted on them for anything other than their wonderful good deeds. I mean, uh, I, I think Goodell is going to have, they're going to throw him on the sword and they're going to have to get rid of his ass. And I think if they don't, uh, you know, then they're going to be in a hell of a problem. And, uh, you know, the Ray Rice thing I think was handled very, very poorly. I mean, you know, they had information, they did their best to cover it up. It came to light and now they're going to have to go back in, uh, you know, pay the piper to say the least. Well, and hopefully you never know. I mean, it might lead to uh, uh, evidence uh, being put out there because, the, you know, one thing they're doing right now is that is a, a big no-no is that they're, you know, it, being caught in their lie, they are now saying that uh, it, uh, the 
these stories that are out there coming from these law enforcement officials are not true and that the law enforcement officials are lying. Um, you started making, you started making those accusations. Uh, now the dirt's going to come out. Okay. Uh, because these people are going to start distancing themselves from you left and right as it falls apart here, because you've crossed a major, major line, uh, that goes outside of your football realm. It goes into the general public. you now interjected yourself into a discussion that is, uh, you know, a hot topic in the political scene right now. And there's a lot of elections going on. There's uh, candidates out there trying to, uh, you know, gain voters and uh, appeal to the women voters right now, especially because of the war on women that is uh, being projected out there. And in this case, uh, there's no way they're going to be able to run from it, man. Uh, I just don't see any other solution to save face uh, in any way possible uh, for them to do anything but get rid of Goodell because, uh, you know, as you, as you, I mean, the owners, they're locked in. They're, they're mob guys. They've, they've got direct ties to mob. They've got direct ties to government. They have lobbyists in Washington, D.C. They've got so many things. I just, you know, at some point, somebody's just going to go to Goodell and say, look, the only solution to this is for you to step down. And uh, I, I think probably within the next uh, and again, it'll be on the, the exposure that happens with uh, the games this weekend. Um, and But if it happens the way I believe it will, which, you know, today and tonight, you'll see at the what, who's playing the Steelers and somebody um, you're going to see at that game. If the news organizations, um, you know, are not uh, pressured um, or give in to the pressure, because I'm sure they're pressured right now to keep their cameras away. But uh, if they don't give in, which I don't think they will, it's past that point now. Um, uh you're going to see women's organizations boycotting these games, uh, calling for Goodell's uh, head, you know, the whole nine. So if that occurs, which I believe it will, um, this whole weekend around NFL football games, uh, you're, you'll, you'll see it happen next week where Goodell will probably step down. Well, and, and, I'm, and I'll be glad to see him go down because, you know what, like having become more involved in this concussion thing, I mean, obviously, you know, that uh, whole book, you know, was it uh, uh, the the uh, the book that came out, Brain Game, uh, you know, I don't know if you read it, Kyle, but I remember uh, my dad, of course, being the one yeah. of the first years, ends up buying it for me and sending it to me and this thing shows up in the mail and like, you know, that book is not only about us and our friends, I mean, the time at which we played and guys we knew, I mean, good friends, people we drank with, people we played with and uh reading that book and seeing that amount of cover up. I mean, that comes out, the whole deal comes out on TV and, and, and nothing. I mean, Tagliabue's name, you know, I mean, was all over that deal. Goodell. I mean, that was, and you, you made a great point earlier. People don't give a shit. A bunch of, you know, guys that got paid a lot of money to beat the shit out of themselves. What happens if they have ALS and concussions and, and, you know, uh, different brain injuries and commit suicide, you know what those guys were paid, paid handily. But now you have a situation uh, where here's a player who, you know, strikes his, his uh, fiance now wife, uh, you know, pretty violently. And, you know, they, you know, only video they show is him dragging her out of the you know elevator. They punish him. Then all of a sudden the full thing comes out and then the cover up. I mean, 
that's the type of stuff that unravels. I was just amazed that the the way that the concussions thing was buried and handled, and you know the, the intimidation, the pushing, and all the cover-ups. Well, I think and that the- rabbit hole goes a lot deeper. I think that rabbit hole goes down to the U.S. government hiding that information as well from soldiers, uh, because at the end of the day, uh, those types of things come down to disability awards, and um, uh, that then speaks to dollar signs. And that's, you know, you know, as well as I do, that's the one thing that they fight for the hardest is to keep those dollars in their bank accounts. Look look at our deal here in California. I mean, the California Workman's Comp, which was a slam dunk for California residents. I I was, uh, I'm involved in that. And it was supposed to be a six month deal. I'm in year five of this. And I remember they write that whole, uh, you know, deal to kind of kick out all those players. And I remember uh, when that whole thing was getting done and it got pushed through, uh, the lobbying group that was pushing it, wrote it, got the whole thing done, presented, got it passed. Uh, I did some checking and it turned out that that lobbyist group is the most powerful one in California. And the reason that that one is the most powerful one in California is because they are the the California lobby for the NFL owners. Of course. So money to spend. So they pushed that thing through. And literally, uh, I've been to like depositions fighting that deal. I mean, we have been actively fighting this thing for almost five years. Oh, I know. For, for And you're not talking about a lot of players. You're talking yeah. about a, a few thousand guys looking for medical disabilities that should have been given to us in this damn CBA. Yeah, and we paid uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars collectively in taxes in the state um, where illegal immigrants can receive workers' compensation. And uh, the the best one for me was uh, my kid started school this year. He started kindergarten. And um, one day a week, they want a parent to be in the classroom um, to help out, you know, staple, cut, this and that. Um and uh, uh, prior to that, they at the parent uh, teacher meeting um, at the school, they gave information. And one of the papers was it just uh, floored me. It was hilarious as I looked at it that uh, I could receive workers compensation for being a teacher's aide in my kid's school. <laughs> But uh, I couldn't and, and having just an, just a just a person that's volunteering. Uh, but if I paid millions of dollars in taxes here um, uh, from playing a sport, a professional sport, I can't revenue for the state. Yeah, I can't. I can't. And, and you know, uh, people will say, well, the, the states are the ones who end up fronting the bill for that. And it's no, the don't. it's the furthest thing from the truth. No, it's, it's the, the most absurd comes. statement to ever be made. And uh, they allowed that. And it was a liberal mind you, uh, uh, there may have been the lobby group uh, that uh, works for the National Football League that pushed this through, but the individual who brought it uh, to be uh, heard, the guy who wrote it is a a fucking liberal and he should be ousted from his position as a liberal because there, that, that is, that speaks to the Republican party on uh, the mountaintops. So, let me ask you guys this if uh, how challenging was it to play for the nfl then knowing all of the bullshit and the corruption that goes on behind the doors that the general public doesn't see and you can go out there and sacrifice what you did smash people into the earth sacrifice your bodies and and still have the passion to want to do that because you know i i'm not an elite athlete 
and I can't even fathom what you guys went through. But like when I worked for bosses who were assholes, it was hard for me to <laughs> to give it like 100 percent. You know what I mean? And so, well, I it's mean, for the it's, game. It's, yeah, yeah it's for I mean, game. like, like <laughs> when you go out there and play on on Sunday and the way you're doing this thing, man, like I always said, dude, it was the greatest job in the world because I got paid a lot of money to go out and beat wholesale ass. And the best is part is I got, to, money, I got to go out and do it with my friends. Like I got to play next to Kyle for an entire year. And dude, we had that was one of the most fun I've ever had playing football because I got to play with one of my best friends next to me. And it was fucking hilarious. Like, like we went out there, I mean, good or bad, we had a great time. And I think that's the reason you go and do it. You go out and you do it uh, for a million different reasons. And it's one of those things where you just assume fucking coaches are going to be fucking assholes. The owners are going to be douchebags. You got to play for a guy like Carl Peterson, who if I saw standing on the street, I'd probably pull over and beat the shit out of him. Uh, definitely spin on him. Or, yes. You know, <laughs> no, fuck that guy. Uh, yeah. He was a fucking slimy bad dude, and he took it. He took advantage and preyed on people, and preyed on you know used his position of power like they do. Uh, and you know what? At the end of the day, that's part of what you're signing up for. And um, you know, you still go out, you still go out, and you bust your ass because of the competition. The idea that I'm going to go out and play my game, I'm going to play at the highest level, I'm going to go out and do this job, not for. Carl Peterson, the owners, or any of this other stuff, you're going to go out and you're going to do it for yourself, you're going to do it for your family, and you're going to do it for the boys you're playing with. And, uh, you know, just one little story that definitely kind of put everything into perspective. Um, after I left Kansas City and I went to New England, uh, after practice one day, I was sitting in the uh, uh, in the the uh, little dining room, and, I, you know, obviously my family got no nothing, so I got nowhere to be, so I'm kind of just taking my time. I'm sitting there watching TV, and I remember uh, – uh, the Mr. Kraft, the owner, walks in and he kind of looks around. There was like me and a couple rookies. Walks around and starts turning off all the televisions. <laughs> and I was like, man, this is kind of ball- ballsy. The next day I'm sitting there eating, same place. And, uh, you know, a bunch of young guys are over there kind of getting fruit. And this kid's got a big bowl of blueberries. And Mr. Kraft walks in. He looks over and he sees all the blueberries are gone. And he's like, oh. Uh, and he's like, oh, there's no more blueberries. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I got the last one. Mr. Kraft's like, oh, that's nice. Took the bowl out of his hand and walked away. <laughs> and I remember, like, this dude not only just turned off a bunch of TVs. I mean, hey, this is my, I'm paying the power bill. F you, I don't want you watching my TV. And then he went over and punked some young kid for a whole blow of, <laughs> bowl of blueberries. Blueberry power move. And, and I'm thinking yeah, myself, you know like, you know, it's just like, dude, there there were always things. Like, you remember in Kansas City, Kyle, when they uh, closed the weight room on us the last week and, like, we couldn't lift weights after? You remember they were like, oh, yeah, we're doing construction. We just turn it off. We figure you guys are okay. Or they, oh, yeah. you know, they made us walk a mile to practice in the snow because yeah. they, uh, you know, they didn't want us to drive down there. I mean, dude, there was like a million things where they were always real good on letting and reminding you exactly where you sat in the organization, which was uh, pretty low. Well, for them, it was for them. It's about money at the end of the day. For them, it's about a business and it's about money. For us, it was about the dream. And, uh, you know, for me, it was never about money. Uh, I could have been, you know, they, they said, all you're going to make is a dollar for playing this game. Then I probably would have still done it. Uh, I probably wouldn't have done it for long after some serious injuries. But, uh, I, you know, I might have walked away earlier than I did. But uh, the, it, the dream was was what it was about. It was about accomplishing something that only 1,800 individuals in the world get to do every year and uh, being one of the best. And uh, there's no other feeling like that, uh, you know, from whether it's, uh, you know, what you guys talk about frequently on your show with, um, you know, 
uh, you, you go into the gym and you have more gains and you're finally seeing the payoff of your workout in the mirror or whatever it is, there's no other feeling that can match that because you've put in this hard work and you've seen it pay off. And once you get a taste of that, it is addictive. And uh, the addiction is what drew me back. I played the last two years there with Kansas City in, in under league minimum contracts with splits. And, uh, you know, I never would I have ever done that in my earlier years. And, uh, you know, well, and, and how but, crazy is this, Kyle? When yeah. you were hurt, and I remember your foot was numb and you were hurt. And I remember being like, what are you going to do? You're like, well, I'm still going to go play. And I'm like, why? What's up? And you were like, well, dude, if I don't play, who the fuck's going to play? What was oh, yeah. the other guys? You've <laughs> been like, Kyle's fucked up right now. His back's hurt, his foot's hurt, but you know what? And you're like, dude, I'm not going to leave you out there. I'm not going to fucking let somebody that we know can't go out there and make you look like an asshole. And I remember being like, dude, that's, uh, that's the reason why, fuck, man. We'll that's why we did it, man. You know, I mean, it was the brotherhood. It was the dream. And it's, it's the feel. Once you get that taste, man, there's nothing like it. I've tried to search for it. You know, and the only thing that ever co- has come close to it was towing into 30 foot waves down in Mexico with a buddy of mine and being in the middle of a barrel as big as a house. And it, like I said, came close to it. Um, there, there's nothing that will equal running out of a tunnel, uh, on an NFL Sunday with 80,000 people screaming for you. Um, and the, uh, feel on the sideline when you, uh, inhale the ammonia cap into your brain and just uh, wake up on every level, uh, and slap yourself in the face knowing you're going to go out there and unleash uh every primal instinct you have inside your body you know that's why you got this crossfit thing that's why that everything blew up like that because those are the feelings that you get you have this exhilaration you have all of these endorphins pushing through your body and it makes you feel invincible um you know and then you go back to the real world and you realize you're not <laughs> which sucks but for, for that moment uh when the adrenaline Adrenaline's kicking. Uh, I think that, you know, your audience definitely can understand uh, where we come from and why we played this game. Because for me, that's what it was about. It wasn't about money. It was never about that. You know, that was a bonus. That was a lot of fun. But uh, I can tell you sitting here today, um, you know, with my wife and kids in my house and no more football and all this and that, it I think maybe I, you know, and all the arthritis pain and all these other surgeries that I got to get lined up here coming up that I've all the surgeries I'm still recovering from, you know, outside of the, if it wasn't for the dream, I would have easily just gone to Continental Airlines at LAX and got my job. And I probably have a lot better benefits than I do now. Um, and, uh, a better pension and retirement. And I'd have probably the same house that I got. And, uh, you know, all these other things and I'd still have my brain. So, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's sickening to know that, uh, you know, these individuals have been in control of this for so long because, uh, and it's good to see right now, uh, you know, these things being exposed, you know, th- this is not new. Uh, they, they, they are, they are stepping very carefully these days. Uh, whereas in the past it was, uh, overly blatant, uh, from Lyle Alzado being, prescribed steroids, uh, you know, and uh, players being uh, given misinformation on injuries. Um, you know, it is, there, there's a laundry list of things that uh, uh, the NFL should have to be criminally accountable for uh, and likely never will, uh, unfortunately. 
I always think of the uh, North Dallas 40, the beginning of that movie where Nick Nolte is like, what is he in a bathtub? He's getting out just all like broken down in pain everywhere. I kind of like have this image of, uh, of you guys who just, especially the linemen, I mean, who really just go out there and battle in the trunch, trunches. Hold on, honey. Battling like the yeah right. There's my little one. Yeah. In, the, in the trenches like every single time, man. I mean, I got a hell of a lot of respect for you guys. It's, if you, uh, Denny, it's probably there's probably no more fun in the world than actually lining up with a helmet on that weighs roughly about seven eight pounds, getting down to three point stance, coiling up every ounce of your mass, and waiting for that ball and anticipating that thing, and coming off and ramming your head as hard as you can into somebody. Uh, and like, and inflicting it, like hitting them, basically doing anything. Like uh, the things that I did on Sunday, I would be in jail for and been arrested and have criminal charges. And you got to go out and beat people's asses to watch people quit, grind them down, come back, play after play. I mean, <clears throat> there's no feeling like that. And it's, you know, and Kyle made a great point. It seems like after that, like the volume just gets turned down on everything. You're like, I'm going to go lift some weights and then I'm going to get on my computer and, you know, do this stuff. And you're like, man, at some point, like I got to, you know, he said, man, run out to a hundred thousand people screaming, yelling, you know, some guy looking across from you, you know, trying to, you know, basically punk you and be like, this is great, dude. You're, you're, you're giving me these hard looks, but in about three plays, you're going to be crying because I'm going to hurt you so bad. And uh, we went out, dude, and that was part of our deal, man. We went out, we grind, we hit, we battled. And, dude, there wasn't, uh, you know, Kyle and I were fortunate. We played on, you know, when I came to, when they traded for me and I came to Kansas City, I mean, there was, you know, Willie Rowe, who Kyle, Kyle played with, Will Shields, and, and those guys. I mean, we played on a great offensive line and with some great players. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, that's the cool stuff. And, you know, you think about Jason Dunn and Tony, and we played with some, you know, Priest Holmes and all these different guys. So, I mean, you know, and that was in, just in Kansas City. And you think about who Kyle played with in New Orleans and also in uh, uh, St. Louis and where I played in, in Philadelphia. And it didn't matter the team, didn't matter the colors of the helmet, didn't matter. I mean, the ownership was all the same. The coaches were all the same. The only thing that was consistent was the fact that on Sunday, you got to go out and you got to do your job. And um, we were fortunate to do it for a decade. So, I mean, I I, I, I look back and I, I think like, you know, for all the, you know, like you said, for all the injuries and the surgeries and all that, I, I would almost feel worse if I only got to do it for like two or three years. I always meet guys like, oh, yeah, I played in the league for a year or two. And I'll be like, man, it would be depressing to have been that close to your dream and not got a chance to really like suck the marrow out of it and really like be in the fight and do it day in and day out. So it was, yep. uh, it was a great experience, but I mean, you know, and uh, just like everything, you got to pay the piper, you got to pay the Yeah. It sounds like there's like a really fine line between doing something you're really passionate about, which is essentially using your body as a weapon. And then somehow like, how do you mitigate that with the fact that you're going to have like life stand, life, lifelong injuries, you know? I don't know. I mean, well, nobody ever thinks it's going to happen to them. Right. And then also, I, I, don't, I, I never plan to live this long. So, but you wouldn't have chosen any other career, no, even yeah. knowing what you know. Well, I mean, Kyle might have. You got to remember, there, there was a point where Kyle and I were on in Daytona Beach riding on motorcycles, and I'm like, pretty much, if it ended today, we would have been good. I already have the visual in my mind. I can yeah. <laughs> the uh, hair Kyle, flowing, uh, Kyle Kyle's hair, hair flowing. Us doing shots yeah. at lollipops. God, those are those are the days. Oh, those are the days. Now we're married. Good old days. The good we're old talking days. Talking about it on the radio. God damn Jolly, it. Jolly Tell Green me. Giants. That's right. Hang on, hang on. I got I got to rewind to something. Maybe ten minutes ago, Kyle, you said you were at Continental Airlines, and that you're you got to be six foot five, two hundred and sixty, seventy pounds. 
Oh, uh, that was that was the plan. All my and you were uh, going to yeah. be a flight. You were going to be stewardess. No, no, I was going to be throwing luggage, man. My buddies, oh. they, I grew up surfing. I didn't play football till I was a senior in high school. And um, uh, my buddies I grew up with, they were worked at, uh, they were a little older than I was, and they all got jobs at Continental Airlines at uh, LAX throwing luggage, full benefits, free air travel. They come back with all these pictures from all these amazing surf spots around the world that they flew to for free. They're getting money, you know, from their job. Uh, one of my buddies then ends up getting uh, – uh, a full disability from the same fucking injury that I got playing football that they wouldn't honor my disability on. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, uh, it, that was the plan. I used to sit my senior year of high school was actually the worst year that, uh, you know, whereas most people, it's their best year. They only go half day, this and that and other bullshit. I was going to school full time. I had to go to night school at the junior college just to get eligible to go to San Diego state. <laughs> so that, that tells you right there. I, I was not getting uh, remotely qualified to go to a school like Berkeley, like smarty pants, but, uh, uh, you know, I had, never liked you. you were yeah, no, I, I, I wasn't going to make it in there academically. Uh, so, but I was, I would tell my counselors every year when I would go sit down with them. What? You're, you're a smart dude. The problem is you just wanted to surf and fuck around more than you wanted to go to class. No, I have that personality that doesn't take tests well or that brain um, already. So I, I would do good in class. I just, when it came to tests, I was horrible. I failed the SAT, I think, twice before I finally passed it with a 720. <laughs> um, you know, they, they, they were, uh, um, but I did have a, a, a good memory with uh, uh, other things. Uh, so like the one Lick situation with the National Football League when you go to the combine. I practiced uh, for a day, for a month, I practiced on, on this uh, test that uh, my agent had given me, I guess he got a copy of. And uh, so I practiced on this thing for a month and they give you like four different uh, uh, examples of the test. Uh, uh, so, you, you know, you couldn't cheat. Well, I ended up getting the the exact test that I had been practicing on for a month, um, which rose my score from when I took it in college uh, to being uh, 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 nearly uh, uh, handicapped to uh, having one of the highest scores on the Wonderlick ever um, because uh, my art brain, because I was an art major, uh, visually was able to go this is the exact same test. I remember where I put these dots on the answers here. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> so, you know, that was, that was my situation. I, I, I had to work hard to get to college uh, academically because I put myself behind the eight ball. But it was because I told my counselors every year when you'd sit down with a high school counselor and, you know, set your schedule, what your classes you're going to take, this and that. I just, I told them, I said, you give me the classes, all I need to pass high school. That's all I need because I'm going to LAX. I'm going to Continental Airlines. I'm getting a job and I'm going to have benefits and I'm going to be able to fly around the world and surf wherever I want and, um, you know, make a good living. And the counselors would just sit there as I'm telling them this story and just look at me, every one of them every year and just go like they wanted to tell me, fuck you. <laughs> you know, you, 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 I can't, you got, but you know, it's because they were all like, 
you're the smartest kid in school. And they wanted to, you know, that you're not going to go to college. You're not going to get into debt. You're not going to do all these other things. You're going to go get a job. You know where you're going to work. You know, you're going to build equity in your income and benefits packages and all these things over the years because you're a big guy. You could throw luggage. You're right. You've already figured it out. You know, and uh, I think some days when I wake up and how bad my body feels, what would be different had I done that? Uh, I'd definitely be waking up feeling a lot better, I would think. I'm still trying to figure out how you stood on top of a table in that meeting on the whole 9-11 day. Dude, He's pretty fucking agile, dude. He's like I a big kid. kid. Oh, I box jumped. Box jump. Straight from the seat. Right society. I'm like, what fucking table was this guy standing well, here's the deal too. Oh, it's and, a team and, meeting and, room. And let team me on a tour. It had to been made out of fucking iron. Kyle is the only guy in the NFL that could choke the fucking head coach and then be like, hey, go to your car and just chill out a little bit. And they came now, if, if if I got to choke Andy Reid, and I don't know if I could get my hands around this gullet, uh, I probably would have played myself out of the league. And, uh, I mean, we totally could have choked Dick Vermeil and just snapped his little head maybe some tears. No, the Who was that fucking guy? Uh, Latrice? Yeah, he would have cried right? you off. The well, basketball I mean, guy? The, the, no, 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 no. Here's, yeah, yeah, where he got uh, PJ with Carlissimo, and like, mm-hmm. that was a big deal. But, uh, but you yeah, know, shit. the thing with Dickie Vermeil is if he had just shed one tear, just one tear, because he would have choked <laughs> He cries and, and, all the time. No, 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 He gets acted. No, no, no. Did you just change your accent when you said Dickie Vermeil? Dickie Vermeil. Dickie. So, so when, so Dickie would get welled up, <laughs> Your right? All of a sudden, ridiculous? all of a sudden he get welled up and we never saw a tear. And I remember he used to get like, he would get choked up every day in meeting. And at first it's pretty powerful. You seen this guy who's won a Super Bowl, pretty famous, you know, uh, beyond famous coach. You're like, dude, this guy's crying. And then after a while, you're like, there's no tears. <laughs> you never once saw a tear. And I remember after a couple of years, I'd be like, Man, if he just shed one tear, it would give so much credibility, uh, credibility, and I never saw any tears. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dude, they always show that guy just like bawling like a baby. I'm surprised, but no tears, no tears, no tears for meal. Hey, when you guys, so both of you were in Kansas City and they did the uh, the hard knocks. Yes, Kyle and I were on hard cocks. Hard cocks was that? That's, I mean, was that fucking accurate? I mean, yeah, what was that quote? Kyle and I did hard cock. Yeah, so, <laughs> so every time they would mic us up, we used to just curse and say, be like, God damn, I hate this hard cocks. And we used to just make a bunch of uh, obscene comments. And then they just stopped micing us up and stopped using any of the film. I remember the producer being like, can you stop saying hard cocks? And I'm like, why? Isn't that what it is? Hard cocks? Yeah. Like, it, I mean, did you guys, so you guys obviously thought it was like a bullshit kind of a thing. Or well, it was I mean, because we were watching it too, and the storylines they were creating were complete fabrications. No, don't ruin it for everyone. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so they would film something, and then they go to the coach's meeting, and they would like do like a cut in, or they would like show somebody talking or something, and then they'd show a player, and they would you would naturally assume they're talking about that person when they weren't. The magic so, in the editing. So what they did is they basically went back and they had to create storylines that were complete bullshit. And I remember being like, "This is fucking bullshit." And it's a distraction, you know. So, yeah, that was a uh, that was interesting experience uh, for sure. But uh, I was, was dis- that, uh, uh, just because it's like a training camp thing. Um, I mean, Tex, you you had a couple questions you wanted to ask him, right? About like training camps and what you saw or what he saw. 
Yeah, I asked uh, I asked Jared Allen this this question, and uh, I mean, you played for ten years, and you kind of got a sense of rookies when they came in. Did you get like a sixth sense when a guy came in? He showed up. You're like, this guy's going to make it, or is it? Oh, that guy's a flake. He's going to be gone in a week. Yeah, it uh, happened pretty quick. Yeah, you know, I I, I don't know personally. Uh, I mean, the sport of football, you never know, anyways. I mean, because you got injury factors that are so high. So you know, you get uh, individuals that come in uh, that are all that and everything. And then, you know, first day in practice, they go down. So, um, but yeah, I mean, if you get a gauge on a guy, a uh, player wise, I mean, you know, like Ricky Williams, he was one of the hardest working backs I've ever seen, period. You know, he never said anything. He just went out to practice and just did everything you asked him to do. And then some, and uh, you just knew that he was going to be a great player. Um, fortunately, um, the NFL chose to make an example of him instead of, you know, realizing there was an issue there and helping him. Instead, they wanted to prescribe him synthetic drugs instead of allowing him to partake of something that should be legal and was legal in America. Um, that's another topic. But uh, you, know, you, you always you always get a, a situation in the, when you come into training camp where, you know, the competition level raises big time because you've got guys that are fighting for jobs, literally. You know, I was in a very good position. John was always in very good positions because – you know, we were the biggest, the baddest, the most talented, and we didn't have the threat, you know, of losing our job uh, in the first cuts. We pretty much knew if we made it through healthy um, of training camp, we're going to be on the team. And so you do see the competition rise up. And uh, where I always like to see it the most was those free agent signings, uh, those guys with the chips on their shoulders. Um, and there was some great talented guys that always came out of that. Yeah, no, I, I remember seeing young guys come in and like relatively uh, fairly early. I could get a gauge on a young guy based on just the first few days of practice. I mean, we would do our one-on-one -on -one drills. We do pass pro. And to this day, one of my favorite moments was breaking up in training camp for one-on-one -on -one pass pro. Because what would happen is the ones would obviously go out there and you go one-on-one, -on -one, you know, versus their ones or whoever's going to go. And uh, everybody kind of knows how it's going to go. You take two reps and then you step back and the twos go in. And then that's when you get to see the fist fights, the battles because you know you have the third string defense alignment who's trying to make the cut going against a second string guard who's trying to be the sixth man on the field and all of a sudden you would see these just like epic battles and like the first one and then they go to the second one and it would go good and then the whole thing would end up in a big brawl and to me the biggest one was if a young guy got in the fight and all of a sudden, you know, he wouldn't take a shot. He wouldn't go back after him. The guy take a late hit on him and he didn't go. If you were ready to literally drop everything and, you know, fucking try to like light somebody up or fight on a drop of a hat, then you know what? For me, I was like, this kid's done. And the kids that were, you know, right back at it, that weren't afraid, that were, you know, not only playing their asses off, but were willing to throw a fight and, and, and do anything. To me, those are the kids that made it. And I can think of numerous times when we were in drills and practice just trying to, and I know it sounds shitty, just trying to pump kids just to see if I could do it, just to see if they would come back at me, just to see if they would stand up and uh, man up. That and, explains so much. Well, you should, you should almost it, do uh, that, I mean, though. It's true. I, I did it all the time. I mean, you know, I, I had a pretty good weapon in that I could uh, – a real good timing of my heads and hands on the hits, and I could fucking shock some people. And, you know, I had a big punch. And, like, dude, I could hit some people and would be a fucking asshole to try to see if I could get people to man up and see what they were made of. And if a guy fucking took it or, or, or wouldn't push back, then I was like, fuck that guy. He's done. 
John John was a collective a collective of the sisters in Shawshank Redemption. He was his own group. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, what was your move? Uh, Kyle, that's probably the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Oh my yeah. god! I always thought of myself. <laughs> you were your own sisters group. Uh, yeah, no man. Uh, your problem is you were trying to hang out in the shower for extra long with the, the sisters. Yeah, get long clean, hair. get clean. <laughs> you know. Kyle, Kyle was the two hour shower guy to make sure he'd see everybody. Hey, what's up? What's up? <laughs> really into hygiene. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hey, I, I like the hot water. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man. You I, probably get asked this, but I mean, uh, I think yeah. we got to ask you on the show if you could just name one person who was probably the toughest guy you went up against. Could you name him? Um, you God, know, I hate that question. Yeah, that's lame. I feel like an asshole. Asking you know why? It's the most memorable. Everybody, well, I mean, like, and Kyle probably, I mean, Kyle played against Reggie White, didn't you? Yeah, that's the oh, thing. We dude. came we came into the oh, yeah. league under, you know, we, we were in the, the yeah. late 90s when we came in the league there. Um, and so there was a, a lot of, still to this day, some of the greatest players ever played in the National Football League. You know, you can, uh, that can be argued, size and speed and everything, you know, uh, still to this day. Uh, we, I played against Bruce Smith. I played against Reggie White. I played against Kevin Green. You know, played against L- Leon Lett. Played against uh, uh, Dude, my first NFL start at guard was against Leon Lett. Uh, uh, one of the biggest individuals last, ever. Yeah, they called him the Big Cat. The last uh, play of Bruce Smith's career, I ended up knocking him out. And uh, two years later at the Super Bowl, he rolled up on me and we ended up having drinks and he told me the story about it. But I mean, <laughs> Kyle played against Reggie White. I mean, did you think we both, I played against, dude, so did you, Big Ted? I mean, we, we, dude, oh, yeah. remember when Big I Ted was that 400 Talk to me, Johnny article. That's dude. my favorite article, dude, is your Big Ted one. Dude, uh, oh, I, I think it's Big Ted Wade. I'm not kidding you. Like, when we played in that first game, he was 10. What's that? 700 pounds. No, he was probably four, 400 plus. <laughs> oh, so he was probably 400 some pounds. And the worst is uh, at like six, hand. six. Yeah. Like man hands. Like his dad, his, his hands reminded me of bear paws. But I remember we, we, they, they had the great idea of running a goal line sneak with Donovan. <laughs> uh, in, in my, I'm playing left guard in the left A gap. They were going to run it behind me. And who was sitting in the, uh, the A gap, but Big Ted. <laughs> I'm looking at him and I'm like, this dude's 420 pounds. So I have this great idea. I'm just going to spear him in the knees and see if I can just cut him and at least drive him an inch. So as I dive and spear him, like a little I, kid. I hit him in the knee. He spins around and falls on you and sits <laughs> on yeah, my head. On and literally his yes. fucking ass was on my side of my helmet. And I saw his butt <laughs> coming through my face mask. My helmet, my helmet just crushed. Uh, my helmet Love fucking... It. And my face mask bent and the helmet pinned on me. And I got this like hysterical feeling. And I knew that if I fucking did relax, I was going to die. <laughs> Donovan gets in and Big Ted sat there for like a good 10 seconds until they pried his fat ass off me. And I got up and I couldn't get my fucking helmet off. So I had to leave it on. And then we got PAT and they basically had to go unscrew my face mask, get the face mask off and pop the helmet out. And like, uh, like to this day, I'm like, dude, Big Ted sat on my fucking head and almost squished it like a pea. <laughs> and your helmet smelled like ass. Dude, he was he was a massive human being. I mean, dude, uh, trailer. I mean, uh, dude, like, uh, you know, uh, you know, Erlacher, who's, you know, Luke has a man crush on him because he had such a cool tribal tattoo. A bar. <laughs> no, a bar. no, your armbands. Uh, it's your armbands. Fuck. Right? I mean, uh, like, I'm, I'm just thinking about, like, uh, you know, I mean, Kyle, we could collectively go through. Oh well, yeah, we had 
all the, the new best guys. Yeah, we, we well, we came in the late '90s with all those guys, all the old guard that were, you know, still the, they're all Hall of Famers now. And then we got all the new kids coming in. You know, played against Dwight Freeney his rookie year, played against Javon Curse, you know, yep. Sean Merriman, all these guys that started coming up. Lights out! Lights out! John John Abraham and you know these guys who are now being considered to be Hall of Famers. You know, we we played against all those guys, some of the greatest that ever played this game. And my my I, you know, Ted Washington, there are some guys that do stand out, though, more than others. And I have my own Ted Washington story. I mean, that was the first time I ever had to block him. Uh, you know, I was a tackle. And, uh, you know, we, I never really would see him except on a game or a stunt. And uh, he came around on one when I was down there in New Orleans. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily expecting him. I just, you know, expect another player, another guy's going to come around. And here comes – I, I, this the the color comes in front of my face and I boom put my hands right in his chest and my hands are probably uh, as I'm sitting there everything just went into slow motion uh, because I realized that my hands are probably shoulder width apart in the middle of his uh, on his chest and my hands are right in the middle of his chest <laughs> and they're shoulder width apart for me the his chest was still another two to three feet wider than my hands were and his shoulders etc I, I i literally sat there and was i it was in slow motion and luckily the quarterback got the ball off before he was able to bend down and get his momentum into me and bull rush the shit out of me because i, I don't know if i would have been able to stop it that that's how big certain individuals are in the National Football League, where guys like me and John, who are 6'5", et cetera, 6'6", 300 plus pounds, and there's individuals that we could fit inside of. You know, we could wear we could wear as a bodysuit. Yeah, know? like Voltron. Like we would stack them and get on top of us. But uh, yeah. no, yeah. they did, and and uh, like and that that's what we try to uh, you know like convey to people. Like the NFL, like there's this idea that hey, I'm going to train. Like the NFL is full of genetic freaks, and like you know, Kyle, for example, would you run like a four eight seven forty at three hundred plus pounds, like one of the fastest forties? Wow. Sure. So when, uh, I came in the year after Kyle, and I remember. Like talking to my agent, I remember looking at stuff from the combine, and Kyle was like the set the set the mark for wow. a six foot five, three hundred pound weight dude. Yeah. Like Kyle was top ten pick. I mean, you know, all these things. I mean, dude. So I, I like coming in. I heard the legend of Kyle Turley. <laughs> it wasn't until like you know two years down the road that we became friends that I realized everything was true. And uh, then Kyle and I were, you know, hung out and then we ended up getting to play together. Uh, you know, what sucked is that when Kyle and I got to the point we were playing, he had already like had his back injury. I remember when you when you got fucked up and I went and saw you over in St. Louis. And, uh, you know, when Kyle came yeah. out, we were training an athlete's performance and Kyle was had this idea of being an actor. And then I sucked you back in and we started training an athlete's performance. You put the weight back on. And next thing you know, you were like, fuck, yeah, let's give it a go again. And, uh, you know, and that was uh, Marcellus Wiley and us. Remember, it was Marcellus and uh, Big, uh, Big Bob was training with us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just, I mean, so it's 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 funny to see, like, you know, guys on TV and this. And, like, you know, I, whole, I saw this whole thing with uh, Ray Lewis uh, the other day, and my wife asked me about it. And I was like, he was a little bitch. I was like, every time I got a chance to hit Ray, I would fucking tee off on his ass. And it was oh, like, yeah. Ray, every hit that you see Ray Lewis makes, it's him running on a running back or him on a receiver. You watch any time when a lineman squared up on him. And rarely you ever got him uh, because he was always playing behind Goose and all these big fucks. Uh, 
But I remember in preseason, they went to a 34 defense. And I looked, I got down in my stance and I looked and I saw Ray right in front of me. And I was like, motherfucker, this is the first time I've ever had a clear shot at this dude. And we ended up running a, uh, like a little 95 inside zone. I took a zone step and he tried to step up and I fucking tea kettled him and he went fucking crazy. Next thing you know, they didn't run the 34 anymore. And he was still playing in that shade defense where he was, uh, you know, hiding behind the big one technique or the three. And, um, you know, I'm sitting there watching it. My wife kind of laughed and she's like, you, you know, uh, you know, collectively now that Ray's retired and all that. And I'm like, and first of all, nobody liked his fucking dancing. Even his fucking teammates hated that dancing shit. I always had to play a Baltimore and see that outrageous bullshit and be like, what the fuck? And they fucking loved it. And I'm like, you know what? Jesus, my wife laughs. She's like, you know, probably the only person in America that could say that. I'm like, no, Kyle could probably say that. And fucking every other guy I played with could say that. Oh, yeah. That. Every other lineman that played against him knows that he never, he didn't really get famous until he was involved in a double murder nobody really knew who ray lewis was until that occurred uh you know he was a good player uh but he wasn't uh on anybody's radar as being some fantastic you know over over fantastic player uh he he was you know uh, very blockable, uh, wasn't a threat, and never considered a threat. And after all that occurred, I mean, he, towards the end of my career, I was like, what the fuck? How did this guy just get so – you know, and it was because – It wasn't like he was a junior sale. And, and no, not at all. Not at like, all. He was – Denny, you, you want to ask us who the, the he's best a poor man's person junior I ever played sale, against? That's for sure. Yeah. like, oh, who, who'd you play against? Warren Sapp. I'm like, no, he was a fat fuck. Uh, you know, you can go through all this stuff, but I'm like, junior sale – was hands down. He had a speed on the field that no other player had. I, I watched that he would run sideline to sideline faster. Like, it was unbelievable. I, I remember coming out to block him on an outside zone, and I had a great angle on him. And that dude literally ran past me like I was a kid. He was strong. He was fast. He was agile. You couldn't put him down. He was like a big cat. I'm like, and on top of it, off the field, that dude drank me under the table for five straight nights. Hey, well, <laughs> he was your welcome to the NFL moment, though, wasn't he? Yeah, Say oh, yeah both, both on and off the field. I remember being a, 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 you know, basically a young guy, and I remember, you know, coming in in that first, you know, I got hurt my first game, and then sat on IR, came back that second year and started. And that first start was against Leon Lett, and I played real well against him, pitched a shutout, and then I remember we went and played, and it was John Perella who was. Uh, a monster of a human being. <laughs> the story goes that wherever Corella went, he brought his 200 pound dumbbells with him. Yeah. He used to do his dumbbell bench with. So he traveled with his own dumbbells because no team had 200s. So I had to play against this big, strong motherfucker named John Perella and Junior. And I'm playing left guard and I'm, you know, pretty young kid, 23 years old, and I'm out there. And I remember Junior just literally running around the field, making calls, screaming. I mean, they designed that defense. With 10 guys had assignments, Junior Sale had no assignment. He could blitz, he could drop, he could do with everything. He was literally, the comment was made that his position was the straw. He was the straw that stirs the drink, and that was it. And I remember uh, after that game, like, Junior tapped me on the head, and he's like, man, he's like, I, I, I got to get you while you're young because, you know, it's, it's not going to be like this. And I remember Perella coming over and uh, putting his arm around me and being like, hey, man, that was, uh, that, he, he's like, first of all, he's like, I love to see a young, great white player coming up. There's not too many of us. And, and the other one, he's like, he played great. He's like, just just keep working. And he's like, dude, uh, with the performance you put in, you got a good future. And I remember like getting like that nod from Perella and also from Junior was like world because, dude, I grew up watching these guys. I mean, these guys like Junior Seau, are you fucking kidding? And, uh, and, and then I, you know, and then when I went to the pro bowl, 
think I invited out there and, uh, you know, junior fucking saw me ponied up and literally, man, I remember the guy drinking me to the table. And then two hours later, as I'm on the deck of my hotel room throwing up, I look out and I see him running down the beach. <laughs> so it's junior, man. Yeah. I got Kyle, a fucking savage. Do you, do you have a welcome to the NFL moment? Uh, it's kind of a stupid question, but I'm yeah, sure you have one. Uh, you know, welcome to the NFL. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I I played really pissed off, so for me, for me, I find it hard to believe. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it was uh, Slayer. Uh, this one kid from Michigan. You know, I get kids every now and then play ball still, and and they hit me up on Twitter, and I you know I'll always get back to them, especially if they're linemen. And um, you know, one kid leading up to the season this year, he, he said, uh, he asked me, he was a kid, a lineman from Michigan and any you know, season's about to start. You got any advice? I, and I just said, Slayer, uh, four ammonia caps in a cup, cover it with a, 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 a towel, shake it up and inhale, uh, and, uh, go out and have some fucking fun, you know, it, it, killing people. It, that, that was what it was for me. It was just getting in that state of rage, uh, so my 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 induction into the NFL, you know, I played against some great players right out the gate. I mean, my first game was against uh, Reggie White in the preseason up in Green Bay. You Fuck know? yeah! So there there was no there was no for me. You know, I grew up. Right. I was a, I was a wrestler. I didn't you know I play football till I was a senior, but I was a wrestler. And so for me, it was you know I got to get my mind right. And uh, you know I was just pacing the sidelines and just getting fired up. And luckily, I didn't have a play where it was just me and him one-on-one on a pass rush situation uh, uh, before he got pulled out because it was a preseason game, um, you know, but then, you know, in the uh, the first games of the season, you know, I had to go against guys, you know, Warren Sapp, all those, they put me at guard my rookie year and uh, my, my induction in the NFL was just playing for the Saints in general. <laughs> um, you know, welcome to the NFL because I started at guard my rookie year at left guard uh, I started at uh, right tackle for four games, and then I had to play at left tackle when Willie Rofe got hurt for, for two games. Um, you know, I, I, it was a trial by fire for me, for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, nobody really bested me, I don't think, and, or, you know, I can't remember, you know, too well um, anybody getting the – I mean, I gave up probably some sacks here or there, but it wasn't because of anybody just trucking me. Um, and manhandling me, but it was, uh, it was the whole scenario. I mean, I guess in, in a, uh, if you want to welcome to the NFL, it was how fucked up it was back then. I mean, we had the gauntlet and, uh, in training camp, uh, at the end of it, uh, the last night that we spent in the dorms, uh, uh, in the middle of the night, all the, uh, by tradition, all the veterans come up to the rookie floor, line the hallway, which is, uh, an old hallway at an old university of lacrosse, uh, university of Wisconsin lacrosse. And, uh, 
lined that old uh, dormitory hallway, so there was, you know, obviously no room between individuals standing on either side, and uh, put a pillowcase over our heads, and uh, we had to run through it uh, while all those uh, veterans got to take their shot at us. And uh, that was, you know, for me, it was exhilarating because, uh, you know, I thought it was bullshit, but uh, here it is. Okay, fine, you guys want to play this. I grew up in the punk rock fucking heavy metal scene. I'm going through a mosh pit. Fuck y'all. And uh, started just whirling around like a Tasmanian devil. And I probably took about four guys out myself. Um, but uh, we had uh, other guys in that situation. Yeah, Cam Cleveland. Oh, Cam Cleveland got smashed in the eye by some fucking yeah, asshole. Yeah, some, uh, some guy filled up a sock full of pennies. Andre Royal. Andre Royal. Yeah, and, uh, he was fucked up. And then did that other guy go through a play class? Oh, window? yeah. If they didn't have the crossbar at the uh, – because the rookies were on the top floor. There's no elevators. So the rookies were on the top floor, and they had a, at the end of the hallway a big plate glass window and um luckily there was a wood like two by four basically a cross crossbar um bolted across at about waist high uh, because we had this defensive lineman who ended up settling with the team getting a nice settlement he wasn't even going to make the team he, he so he made out pretty good defensive lineman from Syracuse and he you know is drunk as hell and he runs through the line and keeps running and he ran straight through that plate glass window and and luckily that bar was there otherwise he would have went out a three-story balcony down to the concrete um, but uh, it, the glass broke it cut him all over I think he ended up with I don't know how many stitches all over his body from massive cuts there was blood everywhere it looked like a murder scene the police were called the ambulances were there uh the whole night i mean stuff you never you barely heard a glitch about it back when it occurred um you know they made just a brief mention of it and that pretty much was the end of of uh of um rookie hazing in the national football league as it was because that happened. Um, so that, that was my, uh, welcome to the NFL, <laughs> you know, uh, because they, they completely brushed that under the rug. You know, it was, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind the next day. Shit, dude. When I, uh, when I came in that rookie year, they basically cut all the old guys in front of us. So, I mean, it was all a bunch of team and young guys. So, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, I remember looking around and being like, where'd all those old guys go? And it was fucking wow. me and Brzezinski and like, you know, fuck, it was, uh, you know, just a bad deal. But, uh, no man, it's, uh, fuck dude. Now though, uh, like, like we always joked about, you guys have seen, um, uh, you know, uh, what was it a full metal jacket where the guy's like, we're like jelly green giants walking through the earth with guns. That's you right. Know, and that's kind of the analogy we always use. We're like jelly green giants. So it's a great time. And, you know, I, I look at like the NFL that we played in um, and that kind of end of the nineties, early, you know, kind of deal. I really look at like the, the kind of the ascension, the highest point in the NFL and all this other shit is since then. I mean, that was when actually we had the practice in pads. Now I think they have, what, six padded, pack, uh, six pra uh, padded practices. I mean, we did fucking double days at Andy Reid. I mean, I had 42 days of training camp, dig for meals, three-hour marathon sessions, all this shit. I mean, I look at the schedule now, and I'm like, dude, if, if we were playing during this schedule, we would have lasted 20 years. Yeah, that's what infuriates me the most when these young guys, uh, you know, like uh, 
that kid in uh, Atlanta, the, you know, there's still just there's certain people that uh, criticize the retired players when these things come up about lawsuits and this and that. Um, and everybody, you know, that uh, believes, uh, you know, whoever they're hearing their information from, um, it, it, that these guys are just a bunch of guys griping over, uh, you know, spilled milk here. And the reality is, is that a great price was paid so that uh, these fucking pansy asses today can have their practice schedules. And, um, you know, I want my son. And that's why I was such an advocate for all these things, because if my son chooses to play football, which I hope he doesn't, but if he does, then I want him to have a better league. And I want all these other kids to have a better league. And it just, uh, that's what pisses me off the most when, uh, you know, these guys uh, still don't support the retired player efforts. Um, But I know it's under a lot of uh, continual uh, bullshit fed down to them through our union and uh, other individuals on the executive committee and these teams that still exist uh, because uh, there's a great price that was paid, man. And, um, you know, had we not paid that price and had the guys not stood up for uh, fighting against this, um, uh, you know, we didn't go through it willingly. We went through it forcibly. We had to, to live that dream. And uh, if we didn't, then we weren't going to live it. We weren't going to be in there anymore. And, uh, you know, uh, you can't fault any of us for uh, pushing ourselves in a situation that we had no other recourse in. Uh, you know, it, the, the injuries were had. My career, you'd probably still be playing. I'd probably still be playing. Had we been under these new rules and these new practice schedules, our bodies would still be fine. You know, in 10 years' time, we put uh, what these kids are going to put today uh double the wear and tear on our bodies that they are. Uh, so, you know, the, hopefully it, it, I played on veteran stadium, dude. Which yeah. Crazy. Hey, hey well, well, shit. Like, you and I both veteran yeah. stadium, new Orleans. Uh, dude. then I still, my sixth year, my sixth year into the league in 2003, we were still on Astro turf yeah. in St. Louis. It was fucking ridiculous. I still have scars all over my body from that shit. Me, me too, that's I, uh, did, 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 did they come up with AstroTurf just so fucking the running backs or the wide receivers can run quicker? That and I mean, money. That and money. It was yeah, financially. I mean, money on long care. Because yeah. they were too cheap to put some fucking turf down? Uh, well, yeah. It, 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 because yeah. because at, at the time, the technology I don't think necessarily existed where they could grow grass indoors. And the teams were cheap. I mean, dude, if you would have seen we played on a veteran stadium, imagine – like the blacktop outside of your door and just covering that with a putting green and then painting lines on it and being like, go. It's like a cheap mini, mini golf. Yeah, of course. I, I, I remember, I, I mean, I dude, Luke can look at it right now. I got this seven inch scar that goes on my left knee that almost ended my career where I ruptured my patellar tendon because my foot got stuck in a seam on the very first game as the defensive end hit me on pass pro. And I remember as he hit me, I took a step back with like my right foot and went to plant and I couldn't get my left foot out. And as I leaned forward and my tendon ruptured and like, dude, with him on film, it's like all of a sudden, like my foot just got stuck in the seam and there was about a two inch seam and my foot got wedged in. And my, uh, my, mine was, uh, uh, the senior bowl. Uh, in 1998, the Senior Bowl down in Mobile, Alabama. And it was a storm that came in and, and raining too bad outside so we couldn't go practice on the fields, on the grass. So they bust in they they got a trucking company to haul in uh astroturf they cleared out the parking structure underneath the hotel they made the cars all get out and they laid down turf no padding just the astroturf down on the concrete so we could practice and it was 
guys were trying to run routes. I mean, there was literally concrete pilings that they were running into in the parking structure. Uh, the seat, the turf was slipping and sliding during one-on-one pass rush. And uh, some guys got hurt and I don't know how bad, but I mean, it was just uh, unbelievable, man, this AstroTurf fucking era that we had uh, and what they were able to get away with because the, the technology was there. You know, the, the NFL, they, they always like to say like, oh, we just found out, just like in the Ray Rice situation here. We just found this out. Bullshit. They have people out there searching companies going after them left and right with new products all the time. And uh, you can guarantee that synthetic turf was on the scene uh, probably when, you know, in the late 90s uh, when it was created. They just uh, didn't have enough money to pay the NFL to advertise it for them. Or the uh, dude, another one I tell people about is I played in the hottest game in NFL history. That was 160 some degrees on the center, uh, September 1, Dallas noon. And the game was so hot that you came in and they were like, if you get hurt, don't lay on the turf because your core temperature will go up and you'll die. And uh, I remember like them coming out and they're like, yeah, they took a temperature reading. It was like 163 or 167 degrees on the center at the star. And I remember being like, uh, okay. And I remembered like that, us going out there and people were like, oh, are they going to cancel the game? And I'm like, uh, you know, and the old guys were like, fuck no. Let me tell you, somebody could die out here today and they won't cancel this shit. Sure enough, we went out and played that game. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, people in the stands were getting fucking e-backed out because they were having, you know, such bad problems. So, I mean, dude, like, you know, we're just, as NFL players, you learn fairly quickly that you're just this little pawn that can get kind of moved around and you kind of do it the coach's whim and, you know, the owners and all this stuff. And if you're a good little boy, you get rewarded. And, you know, if you voice your opinion or you call something out, then you get fucking blackballed. Next thing you know, you don't get to play the game anymore. And there'll be a hundred other kids right behind you that are looking to fucking get right in there. So, I mean, the NFL's got the greatest deal in the, in the, in the world. They got people fighting to get into that game and no uh, care about the players that are there, presently there, how it got there. Yeah. That's a sad deal. And that's, you know, that's why I've been on my my crusade, if you will. And and hopefully, uh, you know, there'll be other young players that see that as well still and the hypocrisy, that, the stuff that's going on. But, you know, again, it, it was the dream for us, man. It wasn't about uh, any of that. And, you know, that's why we you know, were culpable in it, because we 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 had that lust, man, for that dream and for that feeling. You know, it was it was addicting, very addicting. I still wake up to this day every morning, no matter how bad my body feels. You know, I, people go to the gym. I don't go to the gym. I go to my rehab room and uh you know my rehab room is my is what most people consider a gym but unfortunately for me it's just to get my body to a level where i can move the rest of the day and uh you know pick things up and walk and not have uh you know extreme pain uh otherwise if i sit around my body atrophies to near nothing because all the nerve damage so you know if but still even through all of that every morning i wake up i and there's not a day that goes by that i i don't think i could go back <laughs> you know i have to remind myself uh it, it quickly happens but there's still a thought every day that when i i at some point i'll feel great during the day whether it be for five or ten minutes and i just go 
I'm going to make a comeback. You know, it's uh, uh, it's that addicting, man. And it's uh, the greatest sport I think ever created. Unfortunately, uh, uh, there's too many assholes that fucking run it. No, dude, I still see that. I, I watched the uh, Green Bay game the other day, and I was watching that left tackle and that right tackle just get their asses handed to them, especially that right tackle. I watched him step in the bucket, cross over, and, dude, all, and I'm, I'm sitting there. It was fucking bad, and I remember it was way um, bad. as I'm sitting there with my three-year-old daughters watching the game as they're sitting there, and they like to watch the football, and I was like, your dad never got his ass beat like that. Yeah, that's right. You know? and I was that's like, right. I'm like, you know what? And I was like, that kid couldn't have carried my fucking pads off the field. And I was like, you know what? Set back, keep your shoulders square, don't step in the bucket, keep your toes going forward, fucking bend your knees. He's, and you know what? Like Nobody's a fucking knee bender anymore. It drives me fucking crazy. Everybody plays so high. And I'm thinking, it's the first game of the year, they haven't got it in it. But these tackles are playing so high. And I think yeah, it's because of coaches, man. They, they keep hiring coaches. And, uh, coaches and you know what? that never played. And the kid got annihilated, and I'm like watching it. And it, it wasn't for effort. It wasn't because of, of something physical. The kid had no fucking technique, didn't know how to use his hands, didn't know how to bend his knees, didn't understand, play two-thirds, angles, use this. I mean, fucking stay between your man and the, and the quarterback. I mean, understood nothing. And I'm like, what the fuck? And at that point, like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, there's no doubt I could go out. If that guy's starting, I could go out and fucking start over every one of those people today. Oh, yeah. Well, there's no doubt in my mind that you and I couldn't go back and start immediately for one of these teams. It's just the longevity factor. You know, I'd, I'd last maybe a, a, maybe a game. I'd last. That'd be one game and I'd be done. I'd just be like, ah, I'm out of here. God, it'd be so good. I, <laughs> I haven't seen game anybody in anger in so long. Oh, I know. Like, yeah. Uh, it, it'd be one of those things I'd go out there and they'd be like, I don't know what's going on. This dude just keeps fucking hitting people, like walking yeah. away from the huddle just to sock people. I just – I just need one day just to soak it all out of me. And, uh, but it's it was tough. so frustrating to watch the technique and like just watch these young guys. I'm like, God damn it. And the only thing I could think of, and this is right or wrong, but the way you figure out as an offensive lineman, the way you learn your craft, the way you put in your hours, the way you learn your skill and your craft is by you do it in practice. You go to practice, you watch the film, you see what you're doing on film, you go back, you make corrections as you win or lose. And by the time you get to that first game, you have a thousand hits in you. You've done your set a million times. You know exactly what you're going to do. You've watched enough film. To me, what it looked like is that these kids, especially that right tackle from Green Bay, he hadn't done it enough. He had had not enough reps. Like when shit, and, and, and you, you know that you guys know that nobody ever rises to the level of their training or uh, rises to the occasion. They fall to the level of their training. So all of a sudden, you're out there, season opener, big game. Oh, fucking 100,000 people, big, you know, everybody's screaming, yelling, you're in Seattle, Super Bowl champs, and all of a sudden, you are going to fall to what you know. Water's going to find its level, and that, I'll tell you, when he fell to levels training, his training wasn't good enough, and next thing you know, he's fucking stepping with his inside foot, he's fucking standing up straight, moving his shoulders, stepping in the bucket, doing all these things that you that they coach you to not do, and because he didn't have attention to detail, and what's so frustrating for me is, you know, yeah, by changing these practice schedules, by reducing the volume and the hitting and all this, it takes a player as an individual to realize, oh, fuck, by them cutting my practice time, by them cutting my reps, I don't have enough chances to 
to, to, to learn my craft. So I'm going to have to put in extra work somewhere else just to work those sets, to work head and hands and practice punch and slide and all the stupid drills that we did religiously that to this day, I still find myself stepping backwards and working on my kick set, you know, and like, you know, occasionally when Luke's, is, you know, being a little bitch, I'll give him a two hand shot to the chest, which, you know, a lot of people love. And uh, but it's, just, it's just part of the deal, man. And like, I think like, it just it, well, it's, it's coaching too, man. You know these coaches. It is coaching. It these is, it coaches is, are not well. emphasizing, you know, what well, because because there's too many coaches that uh, uh, didn't play the game, you know, that are coaching and and they they don't know and they don't know what to tell these kids. And I mean, I've I've been helping out uh, my cousin uh, coach uh, a little high school team here out in the valley and. And uh, these coaches have no idea to coach around these new rules. And it's just it's simply because, in my opinion, of them being so ingrained in that old school mentality um, that it that it, uh, you know, continues to uh, be frustrating for them. They can't get over. How do you coach tackling? Well, you coach it like you always have. You coach it. Uh, you know, because we don't know how to tackle anybody anymore. All these new rules, this and that. I mean, I heard the San Diego State coach uh, uh, at a, a, a thing I went to say the same thing, you know. That, and I'm just like, what? That, these are excuses. You guys, football's not changed. It just got bastardized for a while. Uh, it, there needs to be some better coaching, in my opinion. Uh, and that coaching comes from guys like you, guys like me who played this thing. But they don't want guys like you. They don't want guys like me. They want, uh, you know, these coaches like Matsko who are going to uh, do whatever they say, whenever they say. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, I mean, that, that was that was. The uh, Kansas City was the worst offensive line I was ever on, and that was the reason. Because you never had a coach that stood up for his players um, to the management that never took a stand to say, no, these guys are staying in here no matter how bad the game looked to you guys. We need to build continuity here. I mean, you were there. You, you remembered when Carl Peter they had no control in the O-line room, and Carl Peterson's the one who's making decisions uh, you know, on who's going to play O-line or not that week. Um, and Mike Solari up in the booth, you know, and, and they're just scrambling for straws because they, they – you know, they're calling bad plays and they, they got all their other people that, that are fucking the system up and they want to blame it on, you know, certain individuals. They start mixing the lineups and they, everything gets fucked. They don't allow enough uh, coaches like me or you guys that played the game to be in it any longer. Uh, you know, they, they've found that to be, uh, as it appears, to be uh, a hindrance to the NFL. Uh, I don't think I could go back and coach and fucking deal with that shit. I don't think I could go into a situation and not put the best players, the best people at the situation out there with the, you know, armed with the most knowledge, the most information and, uh, you know, not teach the silly bullshit. I, you know, and Kyle, you and I saw that. I mean, I, I remember my rookie year, you know, uh, Juan Castillo showing me offensive line stuff of this guy. And I remember finally saying to him, like, do you have any like six foot five, 300 pound weight <laughs> dudes that you want to show yeah. me? And, and I'm yeah. like, dude, you're showing me these dudes that are like six foot eight, 375 pound black dudes. I'm not that guy. And he ended up pulling out like Jim Lachey and like all these like you know Zimmerman and all these cats and I was like 
okay, that's like me. I'm going to play like that. And I was like, yo, man, I'm going to vertical set. I'm going to use my head and hands. I'm just not going to yeah. fucking be a, 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 you know, a big ship in the harbor that somebody runs into. And I'm like, yo, man, I need to know this stuff. And I think that was really the first time Juan had ever heard that. He's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm like, well, yeah, fuck. And then I yeah. remember he wanted me to do all this stuff. And I remember going in and being like, well, that shit ain't going to work for me. And I remember developing my own technique and he's like, well, you know, this and then fuck six months later, he's having me fucking film clinic film so that he can go and show high school and college coaches and show clinic tape of how they play now. And I'm like, dude, you're showing clinic tape on me fucking short setting at a guard, punching, doing all this, setting vertical on, on a wide three technique and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, like that, like you wanted us to jump set everything. And which was that Green Bay shit. I'm like, well, yeah, you had Brett Favre had the quickest release. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to jump set people with Donovan who wants to hold this shit. Yeah, and, right. You know, and, and I think, like, that's a situation where, you know, either, you know, I realized young that I was going to have to, you know, I needed to coach. I needed, I, I needed to perform with what the coach wanted me to do. But at the end of the day, man, results fucking pay. And I, I think what's frustrating for a lot of these guys is that, you know, they, they don't have an O-line coach or they don't have somebody in there that's like, you know what, that's fucking bullshit. You, you know what, that that doesn't work. More importantly, I played this game and, dude, that's fucking silly. But that's that's clinic bullshit that you're trying to make it up in the fucking uh, meeting room, you know? Oh, yeah. I think one of the greatest things I ever had at coming into the league as a, a rookie was a coach that uh, – uh, his philosophy was do whatever it takes. Um, you're in the National Football League now. You have to do whatever it takes. I'm not going to sit here and emphasize because when I went to St. Louis, they tried to get me to do all these, like you're talking about, they tried to get me to emulate Jackie Slater's set. And I was like, I'm not Jackie Slater. I don't know the. I don't know why you guys brought me here, but uh, I'm pretty sure you brought me here for who I was down in New Orleans. So I'm not going to change who I am. I'm going to keep getting better at what I do. And um, uh, in New Orleans, I mean, uh, my first coach my rookie year was Dick Stanfell, played in the NFL um, before it was called the NFL, and uh, was uh, still to this day the only lineman to ever receive the MVP award for the All-Star game, which was the Pro Bowl back then. And um, uh, his whole philosophy was just do whatever it takes. I don't care what you have to do. If you've got to bite the guy, he was funny. He had this uh, old school accent from like, he thought he was from like Brooklyn or something. And he was from San Francisco. And uh, uh, and he's like, I don't care whatever it takes. You bite the guy in the balls. You do whatever it takes. You chop his teeth out. You punch him in the eyeballs. You do whatever it takes. I don't care. You know, and we would just be sitting in a meeting and as a rookie. I was just like, at first I was like, damn, I was hoping to get some better coaching. But then I was like, you know what? This probably is the right thing to do after I got in some action because uh, the game is too fast to sit there and try to say one technique does one thing better than another. And uh, my next coach after that, he was horrible. He was like Matsko. And then my next coach never played, was the only coach I ever had who never played uh, that uh, coached us and he had coached O-line for a long, long time, Jack Henry, and um, was one of the greatest coaches still, uh, second to Ed White, that I had. Um, uh, and it was because he, he really – 
stepped back to understand the position, to understand what it took to play that position. You know, and too many coaches these days are so into the uh, you know immediate. You know, like we saw there in Kansas City, if it's not working immediately, then uh, we've got to change it, and you just can't do that. You know, you got to let certain individuals. We also, didn't have a of, dude, we also didn't have a threat of a quarterback, and Larry Johnson, the minute they fucking paid him his money, he didn't want to run oh, yeah. anymore. Yeah. So and they were all, of sudden, yeah, all, all of a sudden, like, they're like, oh, you know, the offensive line needs to pick it up. I'm like, dude, we don't have a quarterback that can connect to pass. So we have, so there, there's no fear of of a passing game. And we have a running back who, the minute he bought his Maybach, doesn't want to fucking run anymore. Yeah, like, that, that was an hard I'm like, dude, the and, 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 and they were fucking riding us and like, you know, you guys need to pick it up and this. And I'm like, uh, dude, are you fucking kidding me? There's fucking, uh, you know, 13 guys on the front line. They're bringing people, extra people in to stand on the fucking line of scrimmage. And then, you know, and Larry doesn't want to run the ball. So I'm like, I even told uh, Herm Edwards when he called me in, he's like, ah, you know, like wanted to you know, check your temperature. And I was like, dude, you pay Larry Johnson, he'll never run a fucking day for you. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, that, that really ain't my decision. And I was like, well, it better be your decision because you're going to pay that dude a lot of money and he's never going to run again. Sure enough, they paid him his money and that dude fucking cashed it and never ran the ball again. Yep. Yeah, well, that, that's where the, uh, the analogy of the mushroom group came into play there with the offensive line. <laughs> yeah. Put him in the dark and feed him shit and let him grow. That's right. Yep. So, all right, dude, we're about a buck 45 on this one. I mean, yeah, man. I got a little awesome. Dude. Hey, but, did uh, we get did we get Kyle's uh, music choices on air? No, no. I guess, awesome? I guess before we go, you, you know, you made a comment earlier how you, you like to play angry, and I guess going back to those days, uh, and we talked earlier about those albums, Kyle. What uh, what would your mix be? I mean, if you if you had uh, if you had an hour, ninety minutes to train, what are you gonna be listening to? Slayer. Just Slayer. What album? Slayer. Just Slayer, dude. Just put on Slayer. I mean, my 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 personal my pregame was Seasons in the Abyss, um, but uh, any Slayer will do. Uh, any Pantera will do. Um, you know, Slayer was my vulgar, vulgar display of power, dude. Well, I remember. Uh, I remember driving to work. Kyle would come pick me up so that he could uh, <laughs> self medicate while I drove, and we would listen to Vulgar Display of Power fucking walk to fucking work at like six o'clock in the morning, fucking speeding to Kansas City. And Jesus. I would pick you up and be like, you drive, fucker. And uh, we would roll. Yeah, yeah like, man. Hey, you know, that, that was how you had to do it in my mind. And, you know, to, to play in a violent sport like that or to get fired up, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little different nowadays. Uh, I, I, I put Johnny Cash uh, on my Pandora and, and that's what I listen to when I work out now. Um, but, uh, you know, for me going out when I still need to go get pumped up to you know, the, there's big surf or anything like that. You know, I still go back to the Slayer a little bit, but uh, back in the day, man, I was, you know, we, when we were running hot, uh, there was nothing better than uh, putting my headphones on and zoning out, you know, completely blocking out the, the, the coach and what the fuck he had to say. Cause it never mattered. Um, you know, in those pregame speeches, uh, you know, I, that, that's why everybody, they always talk about what, what was your motivation, you know, you know, which coaches inspired you the most. And I was like, coach, no, no, man, Slayer. Put uh, you know, put some Slayer on. Uh, think about what it is you're about to go do, and uh, if that doesn't light you up, uh, then you're in the wrong business. <laughs> That's awesome. 
So, you know, um, before we kind of just wrap the show up, uh, now your post NFL career, you've put out some songs with your band. Um, one of the great songs, Fortune and Pain, you got free. Um, not not so much Slayer, more. Uh, how would you define your music? Well, like I said, I, I you know uh, Johnny Cash, who I listen to now, and that's you know those were those were my that, that's the happy medium, you know, uh, from you know, Bob Marley to Johnny Cash, the music that'll calm you down and and uh, settle you. Uh, versus, you know, it's a whole yin and yang thing, man. Uh, you got to have okay. balance. You got to have balance in your life. And, uh, you know, that's what it was. People say, what well, two albums are you going to take on a deserted island uh, with you or whatever? You know, are you talking about music? Is, you know, I guess as far as artists go, you know, it's it's Slayer, it's Pantera, and then it's, you know, Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard and Bob Marley and, you know, all these others uh, that uh, I grew up listening to. I mean, I grew up in such a wider range of music. I was never particular to one thing. And, um, yeah, I grew up playing instruments and things and being around bands. And, you know, so when I came to do my own thing, it was, uh, you know, what do you want to do here? You know, and I've got other projects. So I've got a doom metal band called Delta Doom and uh, we toured with Crowbar and uh, others and, you know, but my country project is, you know, it's more of a rock country thing. And, uh, uh, but it's, it, you know, I, I sat down with my guitar to write some songs uh, cause I needed to get a lot of things off my chest. And um, those are what, that's what came out. Um, you know, I got with, uh, you know, some buddies of mine that, uh, were in Nashville that were, uh, producing records and, um, got in the studio and, you know, put some musicians around it. Um, but, you know, guided the whole thing off of, you know, my emotions at the time. And, uh, you can see, I mean, I've got, uh, you know, that, that's my second full length record, uh, that I have out, uh, skull shaker. And then my first one was, uh, uh, anger management. And, uh, you know, that's what it's been for me. Um, and unfortunately, uh, you know, I, although, like I say, I have my side projects where I, I still dabble in metal a bit. Um, you know, I'm getting older, man. And, uh, that's what happens to you. You, you, you yeah. chill out, you mellow a little bit, you, you think about life a bit more and, um, you know, loud, loud, super loud music is, uh, not as easy to play or be around anymore as well. Right. Right. Um, do you no, think we're getting you, old. Yeah. We're getting the, old. <laughs> kind of like the same, um, gratification or satisfaction saying like playing in front of a crowd, you know, on a, on a stage as you did maybe in the NFL. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, not fully, obviously. Uh, sure. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't been back to the stadium yet and everybody's chanting my name. Um, you know, I've played big arena shows. I got to open up for Leonard Skinner in a big arena show once and, you know, I, and play in front of uh, about five, 10,000 or something like that, you know, and it was, uh, quite an experience, you know, in the, in the music scene to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, you know, once you've run out of that tunnel with 80,000 people screaming your name, uh, you know, and I've had that, uh, you know, I've had those fans in new Orleans are quite rabid and in, in, in my heyday, I had the entire stadium chant Turley and that, you know, that, that was pretty damn cool. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think, uh, uh, and especially what 
I went out there to do and, and the whole primal nature of it, uh, it made it that much better. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, I, I can imagine that going out to a crowd, being on stage and singing some music would, uh, be a great feeling. And, you know, you have an amazing feeling. These 80,000 people are there for you. Um, but, uh, you're still not getting down in a three point stance, ready to come off the ball and fuck somebody up, you know? <laughs> that, Amen. That, wow. Thanks for your time, man. We, uh, yeah, you we bet, do. man. You bet. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me, man. Big fan. And, uh, you know, keep spreading the good word. All right, amigo. I'll see you soon. Thanks, you, brother. Uh, Be well. All right, guys. Uh,